This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us this week, a big week coming your way as well. John Hindoff, speaking of Radio Show Limited's RS1, will join us, of course, their coverage of the Le Mans 24-hour this weekend, and John will be heading that up and giving us his thoughts very shortly about how the weekend might go down. We'll also catch up with Dale Rogers. When I say we, myself and Richard Crowell, we'll catch up with Dale Rogers. We'll have a look at supercars this weekend as well. The third last round of the season, the first of a double header at the Bend this weekend and next weekend before the grand finale at Bathurst for 2020. But first of all, let's get straight into the news. And Melbourne teenager Oscar Piastri has won the 2020 Formula 3 Championship in what was his first season in the division. Piastri finished seventh on Sunday's race at Mugello, which was enough to claim the championship after main rival Logan Sargent crashed out. Piastri is part of the Renault Sport Academy and it's managed by Mark Webber. Liam Lawson wins the final Formula 3 race of the year with a commanding drive across the line. But look back at car number one, driving to the line side by side, crossing the line to take seventh place. Oscar Piastri is the 2020 FIA Formula 3 champion. Yeah! What? All right, mate. Oh, I feel so bad for Logan, man. Lewis Hamilton has extended his lead at the top of the Formula 1 Drivers' Championship, claiming his sixth win of the season in a destructive Tuscan Grand Prix. Mugello was the first race since Brazil 2016 to feature two red flags, with Hamilton later critical of the way the safety car was withdrawn after lap seven. After the race that took almost two and a half hours, Hamilton clearly drained in the aftermath. It was a hell of a day. I feel like... I just feel exhausted because it's like, yeah, we did three races today, you know, and Valtteri was pushing the whole time. It's one of the most physical races there is, I think. So just mentally and emotionally destroyed. (laughs) F1 officials are looking into whether Lewis Hamilton has broke any rules by highlighting police brutality. Post-race, Hamilton wore a shirt that read, Arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. On the podium on Sunday, Taylor was a black doctor from Kentucky who was shot by police in her home earlier this year. Daniel Ricciardo's best performance with Renault saw him fall just short of a breakthrough podium with the team finishing behind Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas and Alex Albon. Ricciardo ran as high as second in Tuscany but was disadvantaged by the second red flag which saw Albon pass him for his own maiden podium position. Despite the disappointing finish, the results saw Ricardo climb from 10th to 7th in the Drivers' Championship. That's um, certainly the closest we've been. Um, and, you know, I think uh, phases of the race, you know, it looked like we were there. And I think before that, uh, the red flag, we were, yeah, we were third. Um, and everyone had done their one stop. So, I, you know, we had track position, but uh, then there was a red flag and it's... You don't get them and then you get three in a week. It's it's crazy. Um, but in saying that, they're not putting them out there for fun. You know, there, there were some, some big crashes. So they all had reason. They all had merit um, to, to throw the red 
Um, obviously, luckily, everyone's all right. There were some big ones. So we had to keep resetting, um, but the starts were great. We always made positions. At the end, we, we got up to seconds. Um, and on, on that first lap, we were good. It felt, felt like we had it. I knew Bottas would probably come, but I, I thought we'd have enough on, on the rest. But uh, yeah, Albon had some, some serious pace that last in. Formula One stewards have handed down 12 warnings to drivers for their roles in the dramatic crash during the restart of Sunday's Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas getting temperature into those tyres, weaving around a bit. Needs to be a bit careful because Hamilton's right beside him. The safety car has gone, the light's gone green, and Bottas is away, and there's a big crash at the back. And that is the Alfa Romeo. I think of Kimi Raikkonen, but certainly Antonio Giovinazzi was involved in that skirmish as well, and also the Haas of Kevin Magnussen. And we've got another safety car coming our way. That was stupid from whoever was at the front. They want to kill us or what? Four drivers were ruled out following the collision on the main straight on lap seven. Stewards ruling inconsistent application of throttle and brake led to the pileup. Unlike a reprimand, a warning has no immediate impact on the driver's super licences. Meanwhile, Bottas, who has been criticised for his slow pace at the head of the pack, has been cleared of any wrongdoings by officials. Australian Dylan O'Keefe has praised Vukovic Motorsport following his strong debut in the World Touring Car Cup in Belgium. O'Keefe's Renault finished 12th and 13th across the two races at Zolder in what was also the team's maiden race weekend. The 22-year-old said he and Vukovic leave with their heads held high, having ticked every box they'd set out to, with O'Keefe now set to return back to Australia. Supercars have been in discussions with the NRL over a quarantine hub to allow co-drivers to train ahead of October's Bathurst 1000. CEO Sean Seamus stated the NRL had given advice from their own quarantine operations, which drivers entering New South Wales will have to undertake for 14 days. However, Delberto, Tony Delberto, I should say, will not join the proposed hub. He is going to quarantine in Darwin before the great race. Meanwhile, a decision over attendances at Bathurst is expected to be made this week with the event's COVID-safe plan awaiting New South Wales government approval. Despite Bathurst's most senior police officer recently opposing the race taking place at all, State Member Paul O'Toole told the local Western Advocate that New South Wales Health and Police have been in discussions. Bathurst will take place from the 15th to the 18th of October and will double as the season's final race for the first time since the 99 and 2000 seasons. Franco Morbidelli has become the fifth different rider from six races to claim a MotoGP Grand Prix this season. Morbidelli took a lights-to-flag win at San Marino but was pushed all the way by Valentino Rossi, eventually winning ahead of Francesco Bagnay and also Juan Mur. After what was his first career win, Morbidelli reflected on his junior day spent racing at the same track. During the last laps I have been thinking a lot and I was uh, thinking about... Uh seven years ago more or less when I was here just racing the, the Italian Championship Superstock and uh, I was winning that race and uh, it felt uh, just the same but uh, much more <laughs> so I'm, I'm just overwhelmed at the moment. Fabio Quattarero surrendered his lead atop the MotoGP standings with two crashes during Sunday's Grand Prix. The Frenchman did not finish the race, opening the door for Andrea Divisioso to lead the standings by six points with eight races remaining. Quattarero took the blame for his performance, later admitting he was too excited when pushing to pass Jack Miller with 19 laps remaining.
Andrew Houlihan has been granted a travel exemption from the Australian government and will release his dream of competing in the Dakar Rally this January. The 51-year-old Houlihan has been accepted into the event by organisers in May, but COVID-19 caused difficulty in earning approval to travel to Saudi Arabia. The owner of a caravan business in Albury, Houlihan has begun, only begun in motocross in his late 30s and will be riding on a KTM 450 Rally factory replica. And Scott Dixon still holds a 72-point lead in this year's IndyCar series, despite finishing 10th in the second race at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Colton Herter and his Andretti Autosport teammates swept the podium, while Joseph Newgarten reduced the gap on Dixon slightly finishing in 8th. The final three races of the IndyCar season will take place next month, starting in Indianapolis on October 2nd. That's the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Oh, crazy. It's a, uh, a week that we've been waiting a few months for. It was meant to be in June. Now it's coming finally in September. Of course, it's the Le Mans 24-hour weekend. And let's have a look at all the action. You've got us a special guest this week. Well, I placed a phone call. Uh, the beauty of voiceover internet these days is you don't have to pay for international phone calls to get in touch with your mates overseas. So I thought if we're going to talk Le Mans 24 hours, Shebex, we should get the voice of the race on. Uh, and our Aussie audience here on the grid will be very familiar with his voice because he has the what must be the pure joy of spending 12 hours locked into a small booth with me every February at the Liquamoli Bathurst 12 hour. And I say that facetiously. Uh, it's my old mate, John Hindoff from Radio Show Limited. And this weekend, Radio Le Mans. JH, welcome to On the Grid, mate. Oh, absolute pleasure to be here, Creelsey. I, ho- I hope we can be locked in a booth at the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours sometime in the near future. Uh, with current mm. situation, I don't think anybody's betting on anything at the moment. And I promise I won't talk about the ODIs and the T20s either. Oh, we're going all right. <laughs> no, no, please don't. We'll, we'll stay clear of cricket for a, a little bit anyway. Uh, John, as I, as I said at the start, it's been... Uh, a little bit in the waiting. It was announced earlier in the year that uh, June's date was going to be pushed out to this weekend for the right reasons. And I think it was probably the best call that they could have made. And really the only call, Tony, to be honest, um, I would not like to be in any race organiser's shoes at the moment. And not for the last six months, let's be fair. The the amount of national pride that goes along with the 24 hours is actually, it's immense. You think of the, the big events in France are the Tour de France, the Prix de Arc de Triomphe, and the, the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, even the French Grand Prix, I, mean, I wouldn't say pills in, in significance, not at all, but those are the three events, and those are such big spectator events that clearly something had to be done. The Automobile Club de l'Ouest, the SEO, it were the guardians of, of the 24 hours of Le Mans, had to make a decision and they had to make it early. They pushed it back to uh, September, to this weekend coming. And uh, it, it's, it has precedent uh, when there was a little bit of what is um, wonderfully understated in all of the reports of the time called a little bit of civil unrest in France in the late 1960s. It went back to September then. And so it has happened before. What hasn't happened before um, is closed doors and there will be no spectators. Does that change 
the event, well, yes, it does. It, it, it mainly changes the build-up, Tony, uh, rather than the event itself. Because, as you well know with endurance racing, it's not the 58 other cars that are out there that are the competitors. It's the track and the toughest competitor of all, it's time. That's, that's who you're racing. And that won't change this year. John, has the unrest from the public been based towards the fact that I think initially when they announced the change back in March, they announced it for the fact that they believed that there was going to be spectators. It might have been a reduced amount, but there would be spectators and people who go camping and the like would be able to buy general admission tickets. The fact now that that has all been canned, is that where the unrest has primarily been? Well, I, I think because of the fluidity of the situation, uh, it was always going to be a tough ask to get people. You're right. They came up with this idea of, of village, uh, um, compounds, if, if you yeah. will, uh, closed off areas with 5,000 people in each. Now, that was nothing to do with the spread of the virus, everything to do with getting under the French regulations of 5,000 uh, in a, an individual place. And, and let's, you know, again, let's, Let's be sensible about this. The track's eight and a half miles around. So if you take the inside and the outside, you've got 17 miles to get around. So there's plenty of room. Yeah. Normally 230, 250,000 people, of which nearly 100,000 are Brits, by the way. It, that was never going to happen. When it became obvious that controlling that amount of people and keeping them in one place was going to be difficult, I think the SEO took the, the only decision they could influenced by the local prefecture as well in department 72 um, and there have been a couple of breakouts down there and a couple of hot spots in the at the top of the loire valley region so they've pushed on with a closed door event the the difficulty for that i think will be that uh, that a lot of people are, are disappointed as you've rightly said but it will fundamentally change the build-up, as I said, because what you're not going to get, and anybody who's doing their first Le Mans as a driver or team this year, they aren't going to get the full experience this year. Mm. Let's be clear on that. They are absolutely not. Once we get into the race, I suspect that that will be forgotten because of all events, all sports around the world, and Creelsey and I have talked about this before, so he'll not be surprised when I say this. Motorsport is the least affected by the lack of spectators. Yeah. If you go to an AFL game, a cricket match, a soccer game, then the crowd are an essential part of what's going on in the stadium. For mm. motor racing, yeah. it's not so much a stadium as an event and an experience. And Correct. frankly, once you've got the, the engines fired up, the whole character of the event changes. And what you're looking at there is actually on, on a micro level, you're looking car to car and you're looking in our world of endurance at pit strategy and you're looking at somebody to make a big difference. The guys can't hear the crowd at that point. When they will miss the crowd is get when they do the introductions and if you get on the podium. But other than that, the race remains. And, and, crucially i think that you've got to understand le mans is still le mans it's still 24 hours there's still 59 cars quality entries on the grid and the achievement of winning the race is not diminished what one bit there's lots of other things you could say about this year and about the the, the racing 
but there's no asterisk that says no no crowd and there's no asterisk that says oh yeah 2020 mm, that was that year wasn't Good. it there was only it's not like there's 22 entries creelsey there's yeah. a full grid there well and, and we've experienced shebex the same thing here with with supercars and we've closely yeah. followed and, and our audience on rs1 has heard it via on the grid as well about how competitive this year's supercars championship is and when when it came back it was almost like the theory was ah oh, there's always going to be a bit of an asterisk by this year but now it's if you win 2020 you've achieved something remarkable because well, all the balls were thrown in the air yeah and no one knows where they're going to land and and it, so it, it makes the had, task we've of, had drivers and teams that have lived away from home for three and a half four yeah, months and but it, it makes cars the task have been back to a home garage for two and a half three months it's just mm been amazing it, it makes the task of winning so much harder yes so if it was me running a race team in Le Mans or in supercars or in even in f1 to battle through everything you've battled through this year if you get the big cup at the end i reckon I'll you'd be it. bloody satisfied you'd be real happy um i want to dive into the minutiae of this race a little bit because there's something i read uh last week which my mind exploded um in in the quest to try and make motor racing more simple i feel like they've engineered it the other way i'll come to that in a minute what talking about complex though john is how are you covering this race because whereas the logistics changes for teams and everything it changes for broadcasters as well and never before in the world has the word remote been used so often in relation to covering motor racing uh, the simple fact is that the only broadcasting that's going on on site is the host broadcaster. Mm. So none of the big TV companies who still take the race uh, have got commentators on site. Um, our colleagues from Eurosport uh, are all based in their home countries. The six guys in the UK are in six separate individual booths oh. so that there's no cross-contamination and that the booth doesn't have to be... Um, re-sanitized every time the change over um, what we would normally do creelsey is we turn up to a porter cabin space an office space and build a studio into it and everything that we need we take with us clearly we're not doing this that this year and i'll give you the thinking behind that as well because it's quite important for the audience to understand because of the protocols that the aco and the fia have put in place we can't make a big enough difference by being on site. Yeah. We're not allowed to have pit reporters in, in the way that, that you and I and the audience would understand it. Mm. Um, you're not allowed to go in the garages. You can't do ad hoc pit reports. They've all got to be uh, appointments that have been made some time before. And everything's got to be done on the live pit lane. Now, the live pit lane at Le Mans is alone to itself anyway. And we try never to do anything on the live pit lane because of how it is. However, this year, not only have you got to have your pit reporter, they've gone, then got to have someone holding a microphone on a stick and a speaker on a stand to stand next to your interview subject because they're six foot six away from you. Now, doing that on a live pit lane simply isn't safe. Mm. simply isn't safe and i i think that'll get thrown out straight away although i am hearing now that there won't be pay interviews even by the host tv broadcaster wow. so not in the in the way that we would understand them when the decision was made not to have fans it made um 
us being there and putting up an FM transmitter for the 200 and odd thousand people who are normally there, of which round about, we reckon about 120, 130,000 uh, uh, English language speakers. That became less important. The teams all listen, of course, as do the, the journals that are there. Journals are much reduced. Only 100 journals, 54 talks. That's all that's been allowed. Then we found out we couldn't get access to the place where we normally put the transmitter and all the kit because of the way the zones are. Everything's been zoned. So if you're a journal, you will not be allowed uh, pit and paddock access. You'll be stuck in the press room and on the outside zones only. If you're TV, depending on what you're doing, you might be able to do some stuff in the pits and the paddock. So it was a law of diminishing returns which came down. And when you bear in mind the amount of time and effort and money, let's be honest, that takes us to get there, we decided that we couldn't make a big enough difference. Add to that the fact that some of the, quite a lot of the sessions that we would normally see live aren't being televised, including remarkably the first free practice session. Mm. Uh, so we've, we've waited since June for the cars to come on track. And the first time we see them, we're not going to see them. So there's three hours on Thursday morning in the revised schedule that if Haggerty Radio Le Mans, and we, we have to say thank you to Haggerty who've stepped in. Uh, it's relatively short notice. And Eve, our managing director, has done a great job getting the sponsorship done because contrary to popular belief, the ACO don't give us a huge truck full of money to go down and do that. We, we do this as a as a... Uh, a completely commercial operation. So Haggerty Radio Le Mans on air from Thursday morning, every single Le Mans 24 hour session live, free, no blocks, no breaks. That hasn't changed, Creelsey. The way we do it, you're right, that will change. We've got pit reporters who can't be in the pits but are still connected to all the teams and we can use the kind of technology we're using now to still get driver interviews. We've done that work already in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the support races. Mm. So Shea Adam, Joe Bradley and the rest of the team will still be able to talk to the teams and we've already started a huge list, as you can imagine, uh, of PRs, drivers, and other resources. Then we've got two commentary teams. We would normally have had three commentary teams, but we've had to cut back because of the distances involved. So Shea, who would normally do a swing shift in the middle of the night to give Johnny Palmer, our voice of the WEC, and me a bit of time off. Um, she's in the US. She'll still be doing work for us, but she won't be doing Leeds comms uh, this year. So the, that falls to Johnny Palmer and me. And we'll have guests in and out of two different studios in two different uh, areas of the UK. And that's all coordinated through our main control room in London. And uh, hopefully it's all going to work. What could, go wrong? What, what could possibly go wrong, Chapex? Absolutely. The good news is that either of those studios can take it on their own and we've got a number of different ways of connecting which include old-fashioned things that you guys will understand like isdn lines yeah. lines um hard lines effectively as well as voip we're firing video around all over the place as well so that we've got super low latency uh, so that we can see what's going on at the track we as ever have our strategy software and full timing so with a bit of luck and a fair wind the end user, the fan, the listener, wherever they are in the world, Australia, uh, New Zealand, 
your, your area of operation down there, they shouldn't notice too much of a difference. And we've still got a couple of people on the ground as well who are accredited TV journalists who are going to be doing a bit of running around for us and at least be able to chase down some stories. That's the way that we thought that would be the best way to do it for Haggerty Radio Le Mans 2020. And, and I think we've got the balance right. Wow, sounds fantastic that you're. Uh, the, it's all coming together, and that's uh, it's an amazing operation. Speaking of operations, a lot of things have changed in motorsport this year, just due to COVID and the way that they've run things. Weekends, which are normally three days, have been cut down to two. In mm. motorsport areas around the, Le, Le Mans itself, has been cut from the four days starting on a Wednesday to three days starting on the Thursday. Do you think that this is something that they will take as a future direction, and maybe? drop that extra day for good it's interesting isn't it the other thing they did was moved they've moved the scrutineering to the track from the town center obvious reasons i don't think that'll stay because that's such a tradition mm. um, and the sunday monday scrutineering has been very very popular with fans down through the, the last few years since it was moved uh, to the sunday and the monday the more compact nature is very interesting what it does is it's, uh, it gives you a few uh, advantages in that uh, you don't have to reopen the roads on Friday. So the roads for the most part are staying closed on, on the Friday as well. What it would do if spectators were there, Shebex, is it would, again, it would change the nature for them. A lot of people don't turn up to Le Mans until Friday. Mm. They get their partway through the day and they get a chance to drive around the track. There's always people parking cars up. It's like a big unofficial car show. And how all the car co- our car companies and car clubs organise themselves to get every single BMW in date order at Arnage or Indianapolis and, or the TR club get all the triumphs in the right place at you know, halfway down the Mulzan and it's, it's an extraordinary thing to see in that respect Le Mans is so much more than the race and I, I'm not sure they will go back to it undoubtedly there's some financial implications they're saving money there um, particularly with the television. They've cut down the number of cameras that we're going to get live. Um, They're going back to the old days um, because of the relative lack of international uh, TV coverage. I know you guys in Australia don't have it. There's Mm. no network in the States taking it now. Really? When... No, no, it's, it's only online in the States. Um, wow. there's, there's, uh, with Motor Trend TV uh, and in, the, in Canada, Velocity and Discovery Taker, which of course is all uh, part of the Eurosport thing now, they're all tied together. Um, in those days, for TV, there was never really a downtime. Everything was prime time because of the time shift. Yeah. That's changed now. It's become more Europe-centric in terms of network television. So... We're getting to the stage where, again, overnight from around about eight, nine o'clock at night, most of the cameras are shutting down and we will have some locked off cameras, we're told, that will still be pointing at the track. And my goodness, haven't we had some brilliant images down through the years yeah. uh, from there, some scary ones too. If you think yeah. of Mike Rottenfeller's uh, accident with the Ferrari out in, out in the boonies in the middle of the night, I, I was doing Eurosport commentary that year as well as Radio Le Mans. And so I, I think they'll have to be when we get back to what can only be described as somewhere more near normal, I think they'll have to be a good, long, hard look at it. I don't think they'll keep uh, some of it, whether they'll keep the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I quite like that, if I'm honest. Um, Hyperpole has been tried this year. So this is a, this is a, a, a really interesting concept that 
you guys are very familiar with. So instead of having all of the sessions effectively count as qualifying and you get your best time out of that and that goes forward to set the grid, there is one qualifying session for the whole 59 car grid and it's only 45 minutes and it's on Thursday. So it's Thursday afternoon. So you've been out on the track for six hours, potentially, if everything's going all right, FP1, FP2, 45-minute qualifying session. Then the top six from each of the individual class come back on Friday to do hyperpole, hyperpole. And it's not single car runoff. So you're still going to have 24 cars on the track. Yeah. That's nearly half the field. Yeah. And, and you've got to find yourself a gap. And that will set the grid for the top six in each of those. Now, that's not been tried before. It's a made-for-TV event, quite mm. clearly. But that's, that's on Friday. And we don't normally have cars the, on Friday. The, um, the, the Bathurst Top 10 shootout was in 1979, a made-for-TV event. And it's now a part of, of folklore and, and a staple exactly of the race. Right. So it's, it's innovations like that, I think, that will roll on into the future. Uh, Formula One are trying a two-day race meeting at San Remo. Um, yeah. Uh, later this year and i can't see how they'll ever go back to having three-day race meetings they'll go oh look how much money we're saving by not burning around for three hours on friday wasting all this correct. time i supercars think cars have done exactly that as well haven't they yeah and, and I, I, i've been watching the supercars guys and i yeah. think they've done a cracking job yeah. i've loved i've loved the format the double headers have worked much better than I expected as well. So much data that you've got, data, as you would say, um, that you guys have, have got. Uh, when it's you get your to language. The second... <laughs> <laughs> We've had this Sorry. before, remember? Remember the character? Yeah. Remember the character? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think, it, I think some of these things will stick, Shebex, coming back. It's a long answer to uh, your original question. I think mm. some of the innovations will stick. Um, and for Le Mans in particular, look, Whatever anybody thinks about Le Mans this year, whether it's they think it's diminished or not, and, and you know, let's be honest, the top class doesn't look great. We've lost Janetta recently as well. We're down to, what, five cars in there. But in this Le Mans week, we've had confirmation that the two biggest French manufacturers in Peugeot, who we kind of thought were coming back, have now confirmed that back in 2022, we're not sure what. There's going to be a press conference on Friday after the IPA poll. So we'll find out who's pole position, and then we're going to find out what Peugeot are going to do. 2022, they come back. That's important because 2023 the 100th anniversary race. And you know that Peugeot want to win that. But they're going to have competition from Renault. Renault in the shape of Alpine. They're coming back next year, confirmed, into LMP1. And here's here's a glass half full COVID moment, gents, because without the fact that they're grandfathering the LMP1s in for an extra year and uh, Hypercar and LMDH, who knows? We're not sure what's going to really happen with that. So Alpine have found a chassis, dusted it off and pulled it out, banged an engine in, or there will be. Okay, I'm, I'm slightly simplifying that, but it's not a new car and they're going to come up. Now, Alpine, F1, Alpine F1, that's what mm. Renault's going to be called next year. Yep. Renault come back into sports cars with the Alpine brand. Now, they've never really gone away with Alpine because they use rebranded chassis um, with a second chassis plate on in LMP2. But they're coming into the top class because they want to win overall. So if anybody doubts the veracity and the importance of Le, Le Mans 24 hours and the Grand Prix of Endurance, look at that. T- two yeah. top French companies... Wanting to battle it out in front of the world. 
I wonder with the new hypercar rules coming in and the potential of that convergence with the US as well, that Porsche don't make a stab at outright victory in the 100th as well. It would, it would make Could sense. possibly see a Krill. No, it would be on brand though, wouldn't it? <laughs> We've <laughs> says two people who have both got Steve McQueen Porsche photos up in their studios. Um, yes. I, I want to talk to you about the Aussies in the race at the moment, because uh, a lot of our Aussie audience will be very much aware of those, but uh, I stumbled on an article last week and, and about everybody's favorite topic in long distance endurance racing, BOP or balance of performance. Uh, and I saw how they're establishing the LMGTE class um, BOP with their fueling requirements. And it's five points and it or six points, I should say, and it's maybe 600 words, but there are formulas that I reckon a final year university major wouldn't understand in this thing. Now you have to be a rocket scientist to engineer one of these things as it is, but do you even slightly grasp what's going on with how they're measuring this? If, if you haven't seen it, folks, Google Le Mans 2020 BOP, you'll find it. It's quite ridiculous how they're trying to work out this pro and AM GTE fuel equation for the BOP this year. I, I don't understand what they're doing. It's very simple, Creelsey. <laughs> okay. Enlighten me, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. It's very oh, simple. Oh, right. okay, okay. It's not simple at all. Uh, it feels like here in the UK, uh, when we went to uh, Open Learning and we got BBC Two way back in the, 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 the long distance mists of time, we, ha- we had a distance learning uh, program called the Open University. And I often remember, this is long before 24-hour television, you'd come in late at night switch on the television, there'd be nothing on. And you go to BBC Two and someone in a knitted sweater with uh, elbow patches made of leather would be standing in front of a blackboard, not even a whiteboard in no day, saying, good evening and welcome to the third level course in molecular physics. Tonight, we'll be discussing the juxtaposition of... And, and this is what we're talking about here. <laughs> this is the kind of level that we're talking about. I, I, I work very simply on these things. If I can't explain it in about 60 seconds, then uh, it's too complicated. Mm. It is simply too complicated. And therefore, there's two things to do. Either you try and find a better way to explain it, or, or you find somebody who can explain it. Actually, there's three things, or you just ignore it. I think this year <laughs> we're going to just ignore it until we're getting told. We've got some great technical minds from race car engineering. Paul Truswell uh, is uh, going to be having a look at that, and we'll have an explainer from him in the early part of the week. Um, which will start on Thursday and finish on Tuesday. Uh, it, is, it is that complex. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try and get our heads around it. I think the best thing to do is just look to see how it works in practice. Because if I'm honest, Creelsey, some of the things that ACO have come up with in the past have scrambled my brain. I remember when the original LMP1 hybrid regulations came out and I thought, that's way too complicated. I don't understand it. And then what happened? When we saw it in practice, it produced five, six, seven years of extraordinary racing where we didn't talk about the regs at all. All we kept going was going, oh my goodness, look at that. (laughs) And if that's what it does, then great. Mm. Jury's out on that, but the proof of the pudding in the eating. Yeah. Uh, And quickly on the uh, Antipodean contingent there, uh, Brendan Hartley, of course, is in the number eight Toyota. We expect that car with Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima to be a real favourite 
I mean, the Toyotas are going to be very, very tough to beat. But the Aussies are there. Uh, James Allen's in a, a Lige, um, uh I think he is. No, he's in an Orica, isn't he? And uh, he's, Nick... he's in there. Saw 24 by Graphcar. Yeah, yeah, correct. And he's, is, he's got Vincent Capillaire and uh, Charles Malesi, two Frenchmen in there. The interesting thing is in LMP2, Creelty, will be not just who wins the class. And there's 24 cars. It's by it's far the most huge. popular class. Mm. Huge class. That's a race. I mean, that would be a race on its own. Just yeah. on the track on its own um we've got tire interest there with goodyear michelin battling away by the way the goodyear blimp is going to be at uh, le mans and in europe for the first time in a long time so expect to see some of that and we'll be i'm sure we'll be talking about it the interest for me in lmp2 is not just who wins it but how far they can get up the overall can we get somebody in a second or third position if one of the toyotas stumble you're right toyota nailed on favourites, but Le Mans doesn't work like that, and Toyota know that, that I can make a case for Conway's car, the seven car, and for Brendan's car. Either of those cars, in, in real terms, could win it, of course, and emotionally, maybe should win it, particularly after Conway was robbed after that brilliant drive last year. The other Aussies, I mean, they're, they're all in some good machinery as well. well Nick, uh, when Nick you look Foster, at the GTs. Yeah, yeah, Nick Foster in the Eurasia car with Roberto Mary alongside. They raced together in the Asian right. Le Mans series and did really well down here, actually, at South Australia, at the Bend Motorsport Park. Um, and then LMGTE, Matt Campbell, who won it for Dempsey Proton a couple of years ago, and we're all still very proud of our... Our young man there, he's back with them for a second go around. So not a massive Aussie contingent this year for obvious reasons, of course, but um, they're all very competitive and you'd think all of them are in with a shot at at least a podium in their respective classes. Well, that GTE um, 22 cars yeah, ridiculous, that, isn't it? Uh, and that's without the, you know, without uh, some of the usual contenders, Ferrari, Porsche and a couple of Aston Martins in that 22. It's a, it looks like a Ferrari challenge race in some respects. That is such a competitive uh, class there that we've even had somebody jump out and go into the pro class uh, with the WeatherTech racing car because Cooper McNeil with Tony Vlander and Jeff Seagal think that they've got a better chance of a pro podium against the factory works teams, <laughs> the factory works cars. And, I, and do you know what? I can't argue with that. Well, it's brilliant. Having seen Tony Vlander at work, you and I called that oh, yes. majestic stint at the 12 hour a couple of years ago. One of the great Bathurst stints I've ever seen. So uh, I'd Correct. back anything with that, that man driving it. No, it's going to be good. Looking forward to it. Um, just give us the lowdown uh, and we can convert to Australian time down the road. But give us a lowdown on your broadcast schedule for Radio Le Mans. Haggerty, Radio Le Mans. Uh, when you're on air, what the program is and uh, what our listeners can expect when they uh, jump on board this weekend. Uh, exactly as you would expect, Creelsey, every session of the 24 hours covered on Haggerty Radio Le Mans will have, um, and that's practice qualifying, hyperpole, you name it, if the cars are on track, we'll be talking about it. Interspersed between that, trying to give some of that atmosphere back. We're going to have Andrew Marriott coming back to talk about Marriott's memories. Oh, we'll be talking, which, which is if you tune in for nothing else, tune in for Marriott's memories because last year it was we we trailed that last year and gave it a go. It was great. So Andrew Marriott coming back to do some more Marriott Marriott's memories. We're going to get some of the radio. Uh, Le Mans old boys in as well to have a chat about their Le Mans past. We'll be looking at the state of endurance racing on Friday as well. And, and that'll be around that Peugeot announcement. Uh, we've got Saturday morning, 
Start off with the Porsche race. We can't let that one go. Johnny and I will be calling that. Then we've got the second road to Le Mans race as well. Then all the build-up, which will include all the traditional things, including Paul Truswell with the grid read. We've got our live countdown to green, uh, which also the other big tradition that we've got now over the last decade or so is our rule of honour and that's big this year because it's gone instead of going from June to June it's gone from June through June to September and there's sadly a lot of people the last time we were at Le Mans talking about the race good people who aren't with us anymore so we'll recognise some of those as well and then the whole race is live and the easiest way to find out wherever you are because you guys have half hour time zones and stuff like that yes, which scrambles do. my brain <laughs> go to radio-show.co.uk scroll down to the bottom RS1 is the home for Haggerty Radio Le Mans this year and there's a timetable on there of all of our programming it's there all year round it's particularly important uh, this week for Haggerty Radio Le Mans but the key thing is, and I don't know how Tim Greer, our technical wizard, manages this, it auto-converts to your time. So whatever time your browser is set at, it auto-converts. So you don't have to do the bad arithmetic and end up five hours the wrong way because you've done it in the wrong direction. That's me. I do that every time. Can't remember whether it's plus or minus. So radio-show.co.uk, all live, all free, and hopefully most of the same voices, features, and we'll try and get most of the same atmosphere. It isn't going yeah. to be exactly the same, but the race, you know, you know, Le Mans, guys, come on. There's always a story at Le Mans. Yeah. There's always plenty of stories at Le Mans, Shebex. And there'll be a fairy tale. There'll be tears. There'll be smiles. There'll be laughter. There'll be frustration. It's, it's all going to happen. There's and that's more, just there's in the still more race. <laughs> and that's just in the comments. That's just going to get the coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we have, we have got, uh, Post-race tech coming after that, and we're going to have a 25th hour as well on Monday in video. More details about that uh, when we get through uh, the race. So plenty, still plenty of stuff. And, and don't let anybody tell you, dear listener, that it's not a proper Le Mans this year. Le Mans is Le Mans. You, you could take a set of Holden HQs, and if you could get 60 of them, which you easily would, and... Yes. Throw them on the track for 24 hours. It's still Le Mans. Don't tempt Actually, them. Be over in a lap. So what? <laughs> Don't tempt them. I'll do it. HQ races are mad enough. It'll be over to do that. the lap. Uh, <laughs> one of my favourite races. It's so good. I think the big story out of this, though, and, and it's something that's just been glossed over by you, John, and I think it needs to be mentioned, is that on the grid has been bumped it was <laughs> on RS1 this weekend. You've moved for one week only to RS3. Yes. So listening now on RS3, yes. um, it's, it's, right, it's right in the middle of the, uh, of the action at Le Mans. We so understand. rather yeah. than not have the show, so, but you will, uh, there will be a repeat uh, for those who are listening to RS1, there'll be a repeat on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, effectively, at the end of the uh, th uh, Thursday night action. So I nearly said Wednesday night action there because I'm so used to having Wednesday. <laughs> but it does mean we've got midweek motorsport in the same place this year, which is very, very, very odd. Come on then, guys. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to bounce this back to you then. Okay. What, what, what do you reckon, Creelsey? Um, Toyota, obviously, to win, but which Toyota? Uh, well, I think I'll go the Hartley car. I think, yeah, yeah. I, 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 young Hartley's just, he's a superstar. Um, and he has been for as long as we followed his career and everything that he's achieved. Uh, just, just such a well-rounded driver. But I think with Buemi and Nakajima there, it, 
if they make it to the end, the Toyotas are going to be one and two. I would love to see an upset of a massive, massive scale, though. Um, you know, you know how we love an underdog down here, JH. So, mm-hmm. I would love to see an LMP two car win outright. Well, there are every chance, aren't they? With only five cars in LMP one, if two yeah. don't finish, three don't finish, you've got a top three straight away. Correct, one hundred percent. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting. You know, the, all the LMP one cars are strong though. Like when you run through the list, like Rebellion led in each of their cars. Bruno Senna leading car one, and Romain Dumas leading car three. Like. Romain Dumas, hello. The guy's mm-hmm. just one of the greats of long distance racing in the history of the sport. So good. The other thing I, I'm, I'm disappointed and I completely understand why it's not happening is no Corvettes in GTE yeah. um, for the first time in what, tw- 20 years? Probably. Just over, yeah. I, yeah. And that was a decision that was made early as well for obvious yeah. reasons because they didn't feel as though they could make, um, make the de- decision. And it also took out the uh, USA uh, Works. Porsches as yes, well. Now so that was slightly different because mm. that was for that was for financials and and they've made no bones about that. They've been they were shut down for over three months and not building cars yeah. in Europe. Porsche uh, that is, and everybody had to make a contribution. Uh, you guys have got a real uh, you Australians have got a real chance of some some other success though, as we've as we've said. And and let's be honest, guys, your your stock is high at the moment in, mm. in motor racing. You, you, there's a lot of people looking at Australia again. And again, you know, you guys in the Antipodes seem to punch uh, above your weight in terms of, of international motorsport. And it's happening again, isn't it? Well, it did with Oscar Piastri on the weekend, didn't it? And F3's, what a fantastic brilliant. win by the boy from Melbourne. Ah, just, I mean, hasn't F3 been brilliant this year? Uh, going into the last weekend with six drivers in with a chance, they were cut down to three by the time we got to the final race at Mugello. What a bonkers place to have a Formula One oh, race. By the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I was entirely comfortable <laughs> with the safety aspect uh, and that <laughs> came to pass, didn't it? But, um, you know, the young American lads, Lockin Sargent, uh, what a shame for him. He's been brilliant, and my American colleagues have been telling me all about him. Uh, Tio Porcher almost came through and won it, but Piastri kept his head. I, I think he's been outstanding all year. He's been, I wouldn't say he's been flying under the radar, guys, but what he has been doing is letting his driving do the talking. Far too many young drivers nowadays on the radio button, as soon as anything goes wrong, yeah. um, we particularly enjoy in uh, Formula, Formula 2, of course, um, Dick Tantrum. Sorry, Dan Tipton. <laughs> um, and, I mean, the greatest hits of him is going to go on for the rest of the closed season, let's be honest. Mm. But Piastri... I think he's he's driven with a a knowledge and a wisdom way beyond his years, looked after by Mark Webber, of course. And my goodness, Krills, he doesn't that show with yeah. the way he's he's approached his motor racing. Yes, he's in with a good team, no doubt about it. And you have to be in what's now called F3. Uh, didn't score at Silverstone, but that's the, that's the only duck that he's had all season. Uh, and other than that, he's done a cracking job and he's one to watch for the future. And with, with uh, Aussie Grit behind him, he could go. I mean, I'll be, I'll be, it's going to be very important, his next choices, where he goes next year and who he goes yeah. with he's if he got goes to, to F2. He's got to stay with Prima to go to F2, as far as I'm concerned. Like they are the peak team in both of the junior categories now. So to be successful, he's got to step up with the same team and, and keep that continuity. But... The, the point you made about the way he's approached it is bang on, and it's very Mark Webber. Uh, you can tell that influence from Aussie Grit behind the scenes, just under the radar, do the hard work, 
Don't shout about it too much. Just do what you need to do and let the results do the talking. And that's what he does. It's super. No, F3's been tremendous this year. Uh, you, you mentioned the Porsche race as well um, at Le Mans. Keep an eye on that. Jackson Evans uh, will be part oh, of yes. that race. He's racing in Porsche Creek up France, having now completed uh, Mobile One Super Cup. So he's with Walter Lechner and his BWT uh, he's team. had a win this year already in Super Cup, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he had, a, he had an up and down season in Super Cup. Um, it, quite controversial in some areas. We yes, feel yes. like he got dudded out of a couple of races, but um, he no, he did a, a super job and he had a P2 in the opening round of Carrera Cup France last weekend. So they raced this weekend at Le Mans. Carrera Cup racing at that joint, if you've never seen it, folks, is extraordinary. Oh, and there was is, a race. Is Jackson, sorry, uh, go on. Is, Jack, is Jackson another, um, is he another Matt Campbell? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're housemates, live together uh, in in Stuttgart, so not far from from the Weissach HQ of Porsche. So sharing an apartment at the moment. They've grown up together, quite literally. So the the Campbell family and the Evans family have been mates for a while, and um, through that McElroy Racing connection. So it's yeah, a great so story, um, and we're hoping to see Jordan Love pop up there at some point as well in Kirk Up France as well. It is so, bonkers. Yeah, Carrera Cup race, oh, it's a slipstreaming fest. It's like NASCAR at Talladega, but on a yeah. road course in cup cars. There was a race there that Benny Barker, who, who came out of Career Cup I Australia, yeah, he won it, but he was fourth at the start of the last lap, and the lead changed about six times. Um, wow. I don't think I don't think he led to the Porsche curves on the last lap. There was nope, a correct. late move and won it. Magic stuff. Hey, Fantastic. Driving the park car. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we could go on for another hour, and we would love to. <laughs> but I'm going to throw one more final question at you because I sure. found myself at. 12 o'clock at night, midnight, Australian time, yelling at the TV <laughs> as Valtieri Bottas was swerving down the main straight with the safety car going off and didn't stop swerving until about 100 metres before the line when he took off. We're mm. just so not used to that now, racing down no. here. It's lights out when the safety car goes off and it's straight line all the way to the line. Correct. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Was that one of the most dangerous restarts you've ever seen? There's two aspects to that, Shebex. And the first one, you, you bang on. As the rule stands, Bottas did nothing wrong. Mm. And we see enough restarts in endurance racing, both here in Europe and in, in the US, to know that he did nothing wrong. He controls the field. He kept a steady pace. What happened at the back was unforgivable. Let's, let's first of all get that. You can't overtake before the, the start-finish line. Uh, and it was one of the Williams, actually, if you really analyse it, and I Latifi. did on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, it was Latifi, who got his foot down and started, and then he realised he couldn't pass. Yeah. And he's already pulled out and he breaks. And that started, like on the motorway, three miles down the road, somebody is texting on the form, which they shouldn't be doing, gets too close to the car in front, slams the brakes on, and then two miles further back, there's somebody has an accident. That's the sort of, of concertina effect that happened in miniature on the start-finish line. The guys at the back, unforgivable. Supposed to be the best drivers in the world. Nothing that the front did was wrong. The front kept that pace. They went to the line, and he went when he went. I don't have a problem with that. Simple fix, and you guys do it already, and Shebex, you've alluded to it. When the safety car lights go out, wherever that is, on the track, no weaving, no overlapping. Yep. If, you, if you did that and everybody is line astern, you, you stop that and you stop people having the gaps, which is what was going on in the midfield. Unforgivable do you remember, do you and very it? scary. Yeah, it was. It was terrible. Bathurst 12 hour two years ago, I'm going to say, Alex Imperatori in the yep. KCMG Nissan, weaving, yep. got pinged out of the yep. chance of winning the race. 
So it's a, it's a serious infraction here. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of people watching that race in this part of the world that are used to a different style of restart with supercars and the 12 hour and other categories going, Whoa, gee, that's a bit. And I, and I literally was yelling at the TV at midnight. I bet you were. I, I, yeah. I was saying, what the hell are you doing, mate? You can't do that. Cause I wasn't aware that that was the rule in F1. I, it was just but one of the first, out. first Grand Prix in a long Massey, time. Though, Aussie who's been used to our restarts. Yeah. Now runs formula one as the, the head steward. I think we'll, Look at making a change after what we saw on the weekend. Yeah, I would have thought so. I think we have to stop them changing tyres under red flags as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the bit I can't yeah, get no, my head around. Surely too. it's Park Fermier. It's yeah. Park Fermier when you're coming in under a red flag. Yeah. It's got to be. Well, and and Monza, that's the two things I would change. There were, there were a bunch of people who lucked into that timing of the red flag at Monza a week earlier and pivoted up the order as Lance Stroll was Absolutely. one of them. So, yeah, anyway. We could uh, talk about that. John, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it, mate. Have a great call over the weekend. We'll be listening with intent, and uh, hopefully it's an amazing race. Uh, It's Le Mans. It'll be an amazing race. Stories are plenty, and thanks for having us on, guys. You're doing great work. Uh, Thanks for bringing us uh, all of your insight on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels every week on On The Grid. joining us for a chat this week about all things motor racing, especially supercars at the Bend this weekend. Dale Rogers. Hello, Dale. Hi, Tony. Krause, how are you? Happy birthday, oh, Dale. Thank you. Yes, another lap around the sun for you. Yes, indeed. indeed. They just get a bit slower. I think I'm like that <laughs> thing that's going to Mars. It takes nine months to get to uh, wherever he's going. So, yes, no, thank you, boys. Good day. Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, Let's start with this weekend. It's a, an important one, isn't it, at the bend this weekend for the championship with only three races to go. Of course, two weekends at the bend and then the final weekend at Bathurst. Scotty McLaughlin has a real opportunity this weekend to take a commanding lead in the championship heading into Bathurst. An even more commanding lead in the championship, Shebex, but you're right, he does. Um, th- there's no doubt that his sole modus operandi for these next two two weekends, six races, 600 points up for grabs in two weekends is to build as big a margin as he possibly can over Jamie Winkup and make it as near as makes no difference 300 points by the time they decamp from South Australia and head back to Queensland before the trip to the mountain in mid-October. That is all he will be thinking about because with the finale at Mount Panorama for the first time since the year 2000, all Scotty will want is to take as much pressure off as absolutely possible. So when you look at Bathurst, if you finish 24th and last, you still get 66 points. So let's imagine that Jamie and Craig win the race and get 300, which is absolutely likely. Scott will want to have as big a buffer as possible so he can surrender if he gives up 200 points in that race. So if he finishes 18th, he can still win the championship because it's Bathurst. Crazy things happened yeah. two years ago. DNF'd, parked on the side of the road. Alex Pramat lost at the top of the mountain after the engine failed. So <laughs> there's an extra element of risk involved in this year's championship decider being a 300-point race rather than two 150s as it has been for a long time. So he will his sole purpose will be making as many points as he can across the next six races. And it is 100% conceivable, boys, that he could win all six of them. So he could come away with 600 points. It's unlikely, given how competitive it's been lately and how many different people have been popping up. 
but there's a real possibility that he could do it given the kind of form that they're in at the moment over there in uh, in Garage 17, at least on that side of the Shell V-Power Garage. Yeah, I was uh, in lockdown. Of course, we have a lot of time to do a lot of research. So I spent the afternoon looking at maps of, uh, of Tail and Bend to actually just work out what this West Circuit is. And it's a pretty funky little circuit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, it, it I can, I, You can see where it peels off on, I think it's around turn six and then goes back to that... Uh, that hill and then down again, and it's going to be a great little track for these guys. I, we, we know what the longer the international circuit's like, the 4.9, uh, I think it is. Mm-hmm. The shorter circuit, I think, is actually going to offer potentially some really cool racing in the second second time we're there. Yeah, so it's going to be a weekend of two very different characters, but even the first one, boys, will be different to what we've seen there before because they've not run the soft tyre on the long track before. Okay. Um, because in the past, they were worried with longer races about the load through turn seven, eight, nine, and 10, those fast-flowing right-hand corners and then the left at the bottom of the hill, which are Phillip Island style in their load. So they're worried about that lateral load on the tyre that they have problems with at Phillip Island. Um, but with the shorter races um, and the, the changing of tyres in shorter races, they're not worried about that. So soft tyres for the first week, I think, is a massive tick. And... The, the international circuit is a it's a GT racetrack. It's for GT cars, so a, a Porsche Cup car around there is like peak, and and it's funny that the circuit was designed by blokes who race GT cars. So it, it's not a track that favours a heavy lumbering supercar that's undertired that doesn't have much front aero relative to a GT car. So they wobble through those very fast high speed corners not anywhere near as effectively as a GT car does. And they struggle to generate great racing because of that. It's just the nature of the place. But Shebex, you and I have called Carrera Cup there for the last couple of years. Yeah. haven't had a dud Carrera Cup race at that venue since it was designed. And that's across all Porsche racing, not just the top level. And, and GT is much the same. What the West Circuit will do is completely change the character because it removes four very high-speed, five very high-speed corners. Four right, one left, and turn 10. They're all gone. So that that takes out a massive chunk of the character of the international circuit and changes it completely. And if I could compare it to anything, if the international circuit is Phillip Island or Albert Park, probably Albert Park's a more accurate mm-hmm. comparison, wide, open, flowing. Um, the West Circuit's Townsville. I think it, it's a lot more point and squirt, um, a, a, not quite as technical, a bit more hustle involved, much more slower corners. So it doesn't rely on that aero stuff. So they're going to be two very contrasting weekends. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think the West Circuit is an absolute gem of a track. I've been lucky enough to drive it a couple of times. Um, and that big stop down the hill at turn six is acres of concrete either side. Um, they'll be policing track limits pretty hard which is fine. It's a bit like turn five at Eastern Creek. I think that's going to produce the better racing to be brutally honest in supercars. At least I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. And the other thing to just touch on that points battle is that uh, Jamie keeps clawing it back and then the gap widens out again. You know, we mm. saw after Darwin that it, it narrowed right down and then it's gone again. So it is fluctuating, but if, if, if Scotty doesn't have a great weekend and, uh, and the, and the bulls come on strong. Uh, he's not that far away from from striking, is he? No, you're right, Dale. And I think what's been evident out of this season and the the weird season that's been is the ability to get two competitive cars on a weekend. I don't think too many teams have actually got that structure right. They've been able to get one out there, no problems. And I think Triple Eight have been an example of that. Definitely, 
Uh, DJR Team Penske have been an example of that with uh, Scotty being that car and Fabian being off the pace for most of the year. But even if you look at the other teams, there just hasn't been that consistency of cars in the team to actually finish up. One car's done well, and the rest have sort of just pulled back just a fraction, which has made it an interesting year. It has. Uh, one of the concerns for everyone, other than the Red Bulls, will be that Shane Van Gisbergen's just hit some form. He has. Uh, two wins from three starts at the last race um, or weekend in Townsville. He's bashed home a couple of podiums. He's climbed a fifth in the championship. Um, he's winning striking distance of third with, with Mostert and Waters very, very closely matched and Perkett not far behind. So the last thing that McLaughlin wants is two competitive Red Bulls every week. Van Giesbergen has been a yo-yo this year. He's been fast and then he's disappeared for a couple of races for some obscure reason, whatever it's been. Whereas Wing Cup has been by far the most consistent, yeah. but all of a sudden, if you've got two against one, and, and that was the comment made um, by Jamie after that race in Townsville. And I, I, I didn't understand the blow up about that no. because it's absolutely fair. In all the empirical evidence there is, it is a 100% fair statement to say it's two against one at the moment because there were two blue Commodores and one red Mustang at the front. That's uh, just the way it is. They're, they're yep. trying to work on car 12 to get it up the front. But you're right. But if you have a look at the standings, so it's DJR Team Penske, Triple Eight, Tickford, uh, sorry, Walkinshaw Andretti United with uh, Chaz, Tickford, another Triple Eight car in fifth, then it's BJR, um, and then you've got DJR TP, Mark Winterbottom, Team 18, Lee Holdsworth and David Reynolds. So there's seven teams in the top 10 in the championship for the driver's standings. Yeah. Wide open, and that backs up your point, Shebeki, about one car doing the business for a lot of the season so far and, and banging in those consistent results. But if you look at it, Dale, the, the best two car team at the moment is team 18 because they're both cars are firing and going really well. Well, as I, we said in the, uh, in the power rings last week, Scotty Pye should be congratulated for giving his sponsors mm. the biggest amount of time on TV as he carves through the field at every race. But um, yeah, they, they've done well, haven't they? they? They've just got to get their qualifying right because if they can qualify those cars, they've got good race pace. But uh, interesting, I, you know, with all that scuttlebutt from Townsville about the move of Van Gisbergen, which was a brilliant move, um, I thought the best was from David Serra, who is one of Australia's greatest carters and still carts at a, at a fairly mature age, mm. who said that's day one learning and carting. Yep. Push the other guy out and take the, take the line away from him and drive out of it. Now, that's from a carter uh, who's, you know, it's, and we have all, all, the, all the, the senior guys in, in, the, in, the, in the pits complaining about a bit of aggressive racing, really. I mean, it, yeah. it was a brilliant move. And uh, unfortunately, he's right. Um, he didn't have the number 12 car there helping him. Yeah. Yep. You bang on. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how this weekend pans out to the extent that uh, the, the rest of that field, and you spoke about it before, Quasi. We've got that battle up the front between Jamie and, and Scott, but it's that battle for third. There's four <laughs> or five cars in that, and that's still very wide open. Yeah, it, it's mm. it's a tremendous battle. And every time you feel like Mostert's about to chuck P3 in the championship away and, you know, 24th in the final race in Townsville 1, he comes back and finishes third in the first yeah. race of Townsville 2. So he's just banging in these podium finishes. Um, I've been really impressed with what they're doing at WAU and uh, really superb stuff. Uh, Cam Waters, he's had four podiums from the last eight races. He's in really good touch. Surely a race win for car six isn't that far away. 
but I think the story is probably Brad Jones racing and Nick Perkett was a legitimate third in the series after the, the Sydney Motorsport Park successes dropped back a little bit. Darwin was a, a bit of a struggle there for car number eight, but in superb form in the, in Townsville and although didn't get a podium out of it, um, still punched in some very consistent results and was top six in five of the six races there. So he is absolutely a shot to still be in, in P2. So it's a tremendous battle. And as the season goes on, there's other drivers in there. So on current form, Scott Pye is third in the championship if you take into account the top-end races. If you, Darwin and Townsville, Scott's right up there. Um, he's just got to work out how to get the thing right in qualifying. But yeah. with the guru, Phil Key in his corner, I'm sure they'll nail it eventually. And if it's this weekend's, or next weekend, you won't see which way that thing went because its race pace is so good. Um, it's as good as anything at the front of the field. So, And that will just throw another joker in the pack. Todd Hazelwood's in great form, and that brilliant pole position in Townsville yep. was so good to see. Lee Holdsworth has been there or thereabouts. Um, I actually spoke to Lee this week, and you'll hear uh, entire, in NTI Inside Race Week coming up, and we'll have that on the mypodcasthouse.com channels later this week. I spoke to Lee and, and he's off in a different direction setup wise to his Tickford teammates because he likes the car to do different things, but he reckons they're really close to unlocking that um, truck assist Mustang as well. So Holdsworth's there. Courtney's popping up in qualifying now in the Boost Mobile car. Are Erebus going to bounce back? Look, this is what's so cool about the situation we're in at the moment is there's so many variables. And then you go back to the fact we're going to the bend on a soft tyre, which no one's got any real miles on. They used it at the test day for a couple of runs at the start of the season, but a lot's changed since we were there in February. A a whole lot has changed. So it really is another sort of, it's not quite a control alt delete, but um, they've they've sort of gone a reset again coming into these next two back-to-back races. And then we go to Bathurst and we've got 24 (laughs) co-drivers. Yeah. 25. And 25 with a wild card from GRM. So the pressure's always on these guys. There's no doubt about it. But they've had normally had some good runs on the Friday morning on practice zeros. They've had a sand down or, or you know, a, a, a good run up. Um, this year, it's going to be go and uh, get yourself um, COVID fit <laughs> and then jump in the car on Thursday and see how you go. Because uh, I don't believe there is going to be a session at the, the, at the bend. No, so it no. is absolutely... Unless, and I, I, I'm guessing when we see the sub-regs for Bathurst, there will be an extra session. But there'll be a lot of guys who need a lot of seat time in those cars. And they are people that are going to be running at the front of the field. Interestingly enough, uh, last week on the show, chatting to Mark and Chad Nalon, I suggested that Car 8 could be my early early little cheeky pick for Bathurst. If you're, if you're a fan of the bookies and you like wasting money, maybe go and sneak you know, 20 bucks on Nick Perkett and Tom Randall. And news as we record this show that came out today on Tuesday Australian time, Tom Randall will be at the bend. He'll be racing Rusty French's Bentley Continental GT3. Now it's not a supercar. It's completely different, but... Well, it is a supercar. It is an absolute supercar. In every real definition of the term, you're right. Um, It's seat time. He'll be sharp at a fast and flowing circuit. He'll have his eye in and that will give him just a little bit more of a tweak to be absolutely bang on the money when he lines up alongside Nick in that BJR car. And for mine, it just strengthens um, strengthens the cause of the Percat Randall Brad Jones racing affair for Bathurst. So um, yeah, I, and it's stuff like that that will will give people an advantage. And and the drivers that have got miles, Brock Feeney's running his um, 
Super 3 car and has run his Super 3 car. You know, it's stuff like that. So the Fiend will jump in alongside James Courtney. He's running that car at the bend. So he's driving a supercar. So that first co-driver session at Mount Panorama, they're the ones that aren't going to be going, oh, how does the steering wheel work again? They're going to be going, oh, the car's doing this. And boys, let's tweak this. So when the main driver jumps in, they're already a step of the curb. I I think that's what's going to be the difference this year when they get to it. But no no one thinks... Oh, Garth Tander hasn't driven anything all year since um, the Grand Prix in TCR. No one thinks that Garth is going to roll up at Bathurst and be off the pace because no. it just won't happen. He's too no. good. But maybe for the drivers that don't have that wealth of experience of a GT or a CL, that's where the difference could be. No doubt. Were you surprised to see the Gary Rogers Motorsport entry the wild card? Well, I wasn't surprised to see it. I was a bit surprised by who's been touted as the drivers. But... Um, you know, I think I'm not surprised that Gary's going to have a crack at it, and uh, I'm sure that he's had such long-standing relationships with, particularly with the likes of Valvoline and Cummins, that um, the budget will be put together. Um, uh, but it looks like there's going to be some very, very, very raw drivers in the car. Yeah, Tyler Vreham and uh, Nathan Hearn. Yeah, and and good for Tyler's a, a legitimate. Yeah, talent, um, and sure. we've seen him in Super 3 and Super 2 be very, very competitive. Um, Nathan Hearn's never driven a supercar, so that that's one from left field, and, and Mark rightly raised the question last week about the super licence mm. um, question, that, that you need one to race a supercar, and, and maybe they're, they're going to forgive that, but then again, he's got plenty of miles in a TA2 car lately, so... Um, and we saw how well he drove in the tin tops at Townsville, sliding that thing around. Clearly can drive, but he is a rookie in every sense of the every word. Sense. So absolutely, it's going to be a baptism. But but I, I'm I'm a fan of this happening. I, I'm yeah. I'm really happy for GRM. They're a team with great providence at that race. This is 20 years after they won it in yeah. 2000 with Barguana and Tanda. Again, back in the day, to young blokes who hadn't really proven themselves at the time. So. I think it's it's tremendous and just adds another great story to the field. So now, th- now there's a retro livery that'd be nice to see right out of the garage, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, the Valvoline livery from that year. Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. great. Yeah, great. absolutely. And it makes sense. Like yeah. they've been sitting around twiddling their thumbs all year because there's been no S5000 or TCR no, to run. Right. They've got people on the books. They've got two ZB Commodore sitting there that are current yep. spec ready to go. Spec, yeah. yep. it, it it makes logical sense for them to do that. So I yep. I like it. Yep. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, well, that's probably enough speculation about this weekend. We'll wait and see what happens and talk about it next week. I do want to talk F1, though. There's nothing to speculate there. That was something that was uh, definitely all there to see. Uh, Dale, we, uh, Cozy and I had our chat about it with John earlier on in regards to the restart and the like. I want to get your take on it. Well, uh, Tony, uh, the, the two things. Uh, watching um, free practice one and two, I thought... Yep, turn one is going to be unbelievable. The rest of it's going to be great to watch, but absolutely not going to provide great racing. But a magnificent track. You know, we need tracks like this in Formula One. Uh, but it did provide an extraordinary amount of racing, um, like three races in one day. So it was it was off off this planet. The restart, look, uh, we, we can all debate how it works. I don't like the fact that a Formula One car can be weaving and weaving and weaving with someone on, on his left flank right up to the grid spot too and then decide to go. Um, there is no control over the field. It doesn't appear to be a control of the field. It's not Michael Massey's fault. That's the rule. So all he's doing is is, is enforcing the rule. But it's wrong. Um, you know, I think we've... We, but he did say that if you look at F3 and F2 over the weekend, who had similar issues to deal with, with single-file cars, getting to the grid, they got through okay. Um, 
But as a race, uh, well, it was it was an unbelievable uh, race, other than the first and second. Although, for me, Bot has calling to go on the tires that that whatever 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 Lewis on, don't put me on. <laughs> sure enough, they still put him on the same tires. Um, but he blew it up at the second start. You know, he really had a had a really good uh, run with with Hamilton. He had a, he was commanding lead over him. Couldn't make it work at the second one. Ricardo did an awesome job. You know, I, I thought it was a drive of the day. He did a fantastic job. Just couldn't hang on in the end. Albon was coming with fresh tyres. Um, but, boy, didn't those cars break up. Um, I couldn't believe Stroll's car, how badly yeah, damaged it was. That a banana, was. wasn't was it? Bent in half. Bent. And that was a side on impact as well. So, look, the, 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 um, the, the restart into the grid, it was just... It was a fiasco, uh, but the cars I, I, we'd spoke before from about 12th position back or 10th or 11th position back, those cars were way, way off the next car and they floored it. We, they had no idea it was in front of them. And, and I think that's a fault of, of the whole white work. So, um, but I hope Mugello is back on the calendar in the future. It was a mag- It's just a magnificent circuit. Krause, you wrote about it. I mean, Watching those cars through six, seven, and eight was just mind-boggling. Yeah. The direction change is something that's to, to behold. That yeah. enough was for you know, as a racing fan, was enough. That was brilliant, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. But um, Sochi's next, and that's not that's not the same track. No, it's bloody awful. Um, it's a terrible, terrible circuit. But at least there's going to be fans there, so that's great. So you'll you'll tune in for that. It, it I, I wrote in that column that Formula One, it, it it's like a drug, isn't it? That it weans out and it weans out and you get four or five pretty tall, tedious races in a row. And we, we had Catalonia, which is just one of the worst races that we've seen in the last 24 months. Um, and just when you go, Oh, do you know what? I'm not going to bother watching tonight's race or I'll watch the first lap. And then I'm going to go to bed and actually get a decent Sunday night. That's exactly sleep. what I said on Sunday. Exactly. And then, and then they go, boom, Monza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Complete madhouse. Right. And then you're absolutely captivated for the next week. And they go, boom, Magello, what an incredible motor race. So everyone will be up watching Sochi yeah. and they'll be disappointed because it will inevitably be a terrible motor race because it's not a good racetrack. Now, the quote but, of the day, but, though, Krause. But it won't matter, Dale, because everyone's still jizzed up from the last two races. So they'll go, yeah, this is fine. We can deal with a boring race because we know that we might get another Magello at yeah, some yeah. point. It, look, it, I think it has been a great season. Though. I know that the, there's two cars out the front and they're doing their thing, but the racing actually has been some of the best F1 racing mm. we've seen. So you've just got to, you know, unfortunately remove those two Mercedes and there's been some awesome racing. But the quote of the day was Vettel's on the cool down lap. Yes. When he said, are we going again? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Kimmy on the radio too. Oh, How yeah, was brilliant. He? Oh, <laughs> Take that Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lost his marbles. No, it was good. Uh, was I don't great. think anyone else saw it because I think it was just to you guys in our chat. But if you look <laughs> at that emoji on your phone, the red face with the expletives across, that's yeah. now known as the Kimmy. The Raikkonen. The Kimmy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, boys, and I know I beat this drum a lot, but if you watch the Sky Sports pre-race show, and I was flicking between that and MotoGP, and Mick Schumacher rolled out in the F2004 oh that Michael won the championship with. And the V10 car was pounding round. Tears. One of, one of my favourite moments of the whole broadcast was Simon Lazenby was doing his piece to camera to throw to a brake, yeah. I think. And the car <laughs> blazed past. Yeah. And you just saw Martin Brundle and, and Jensen Button just look at each other. Yeah. And it was just this little moment between the two of them. And you could see that the, the non-verbal communication was, oh, this Brilliant. is great. Yeah. And it just... 
that's the frustrating thing is you cannot run those cars anymore because no. when you roll a real Formula One car out or a current Formula One car out, they still sound pretty flat. Um, and it, we get this at Albert Park every year with a two-seater V10 yeah, Cosy rolling around. So I did love that. It was a very, very cool moment. Just that little look between Brundle and Jensen, who have both been outspoken in how good the older cars yeah. were. Um, I loved it. And, and Mark Weber actually instant about it on his instagram during the week and said um they these made boys men very quickly those v10 era yep. formula one cars narrow track and it was interesting actually to see watch that back to back with the current car how much smaller they were yeah, time, yeah. 15 years ago or 10 years ago and and really nimble and lightweight and the cars dance around more it shows you how quite fat the current cars are and how massive they are yeah. as well so yeah it'd be nice to see them maybe go back a little bit in scale at some point in the future but um that was a cool moment very cool moment and we'll just get your take on oscar oscar piastri also dove yeah great I, the, the both races were he really he was in a in a precarious position for the whole weekend qualified badly for race one did get up the field up to i think to 11th in in the um the first race uh, I was very impressed with how he how he uh, acknowledged Sergeant's off. Um, mm. You know, it's his teammate, it's a premier teammate, but very mature to say, look, you know, I I still wanted him to race and for us to race for the championship. And for a for a young guy on the, on that was great. But honestly, uh, how good are some of these young guys we've got over there? Um, mm. Alex Peroni, you know, hasn't had a great year, but he's still thereabouts. But Piastri's just done an awesome job. Mark, uh, obviously, under his wing, he's got a Renault contract in his back pocket. Um, Matt's Liam great. Lawson, and, Liam Lawson you know, had a pretty good year. Yeah. Liam Lawson had a very good year. Won the year. last yeah. race. Yeah. Won the last race. Uh, you know, I think, I think young uh, Jack doohan has got a way to go, but he's been thrown in the deep end. But, but it's lovely to see when, when those results come up at the end of it, of how many Aussie flags are actually, and New Zealand flags are actually on the, yeah. on the TV. So, but just a great run from Piastri. He deserved the championship. He really fought hard for it. And he didn't just win from the front. He actually carved through the field a number of occasions. And I think that's the sign of really this kid's going to be a great racer. And he's got a good bloke in his corner with Mark Webber. Yeah, his, his passing in that first race was really impressive. Was and, and ultimately, he missed the reverse grid pole by one position, one first 11th instead of 10th, which was frustrating at the time. But, but on reflection, and, and the fact he won the championship probably makes it okay to speculate that I, I think it's actually better in a way because it, it would have almost... It would have been great to see him start on pole and have a clear pathway to it, a but clear pathway to it. People have an excuse to give. Yeah, but so yeah. so he earned every single every, position he got, yeah, and correct. he finished what yeah. seventh, I think. Yep. But, yes, but yeah. I love the fact that he out, out dragged old mate at the line to get another spot on yep. the last lap when he had it basically sewn up. He didn't need to pass, but he still did. So yep. he was racing towards the end, and um, yeah, he, he's got uh, he's got the Weber there just on the on the quiet, on the side, yeah. backing his corner, which is great. So um, he's got to stay, and I said this before, he's got to stay uh, with Prema into Formula 2 if he can because yep. yep. they are the, the benchmark across all of the junior categories. So at the moment, whatever they're doing is working. So he's got to stay with Prema. Ideally, there needs to be space in that team for him to jump up into F2 next year. He can't come back to F3. Now he's the champion. So he's got to progress. Um but yeah, look, Formula Two next year, he he could give that a real shake as well. Un- unlikely to win it in the first season. No one really does in F two. It's generally a two year campaign. But 
who knows? It'll be cool to see them up there. And, and once you're there, you're not that far from the big seat. No, and no, there'll be a, an Aussie-shaped hole at Renault when Danny Rick moves across to McLaren. So um, who knows? Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's probably a number 20 uh, premise seat in uh, F2 because if Mick Schumacher wins the championship, Correct. that seat is there for him. So, uh, well, yeah, let's hope he gets through it. It's, it's a fantastic story. And, uh, and, uh, and look, we just should acknowledge uh, old Gerald McDonald's done a great job in Melbourne. He's had a yep. tough old year and uh, he's, 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 he's looked after Oscar and done a great job. So good on you, mate. Well done. Correct. Boys, we'll leave it at that. Enjoy the weekend. Plenty of supercar racing, plenty of Le Mans. Boys, I'm, Go going, to a, I'm going to a racetrack. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Go to a car round. Yeah. How good is it going to be? I'm going to a TV and a couch. <laughs> yeah, make sure you send uh, us pictures. Oh, there'll be so many pictures. We want it's pictures. going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I will report back. Um, can we do it like a single person on the grid on the grid? Yes. Yeah, we could. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll give it. it might, we might not be allowed on the grid, but I'll have a yeah. crack anyway. No. Oh, if you can, record it. We'll get it up. Don't worry about that. Like, All right. And the rebellion's to win Le Mans. There you go. Oh, big. <laughs> I, I want an LMP2 car to win it. <laughs> Thank oh, you for joining thanks, us. Boys. And we'll catch you again right here on the grid of mypodcasthouse.com.